0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall guy. what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Turn to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read PG 13. Well, the Ohio State Buckeyes took care of business in their first road game of 2022. It was entertaining for 10 minutes or so. The Buckeyes beat Michigan State handily on the road. C.J. Stroud looked outstanding. He threw six touchdown passes for the third time in his career. He's The first Ohio State quarterback to do that. We got plenty to talk about as this Buckeye offense continues to look like the best offense in America. Coming up next, it's our instant analysis here on Buckeye Breakdown. We've got the whole crew together as we cover Ohio State with our instant analysis from Ohio State. There's something that doesn't feel right. Unbelievable effort from him today. Is E.J. Liddell going to crack the first team All Big Ten. I think he can be the guy. I'm not trying to start a quarterback controversy. He seems to have the durability. He certainly has the toughness is the question on a lot of people's minds here. Welcome to Buckeye Breakdown. Well, hi everybody and welcome to spartan stadium in east lansing where the ohio state buckeyes just completely and totally dismantled michigan state for the second year in a row the final score was not indicative of how lopsided this game was 49 to 20 the buckeyes proved victorious for the sixth time in a row to start the season i'm brendan gulick andrew lind with me too andrew that was a, a fun performance if you're a big quarterback fan because cj stroud continued to look like what we know he can he threw for six touchdowns, 21 of 26. So he was super efficient. 361 yards. He had one blemish on a, a miscommunication early on with a Mecca Turned into a pick six. But man, we're we're really starting to talk about splitting hairs right now when it's uh, it's coming to his performances.
1: Yeah, and it kind of goes right right hand in hand with what I what I talked about in my column before the game, just kind of what I expected from him today because of Michigan State's, you know, uh pass defense, which is one of the worst in the country, really. And yeah, besides you know that that miscommunication that he had with with Mecca and then um, you know maybe not getting 500 yards like I thought he was going to, but still throwing for six touchdowns. He was, you know, he threw 12 touchdowns and only eight incompletions in, in the last two games against Michigan State. So yeah, I mean you can't really get much more efficient than
0: that. Let's see. Uh, Ohio State won 56 to seven last year, 49 to 20 this year. So 56 and 49. That means Ohio State scored more points in two years than Mel Tucker has millions of dollars on his long-term contract uh, at Michigan State. We talked about it earlier in the week. I don't think that there's total full-blown buyer's remorse yet with Mel Tucker, but this is a Spartan program that's now lost four weeks in a row. This was always going to be a tough week for them, but they have got to get it figured out if they're going to save their season because things don't look good right now for the green and white, and Ohio State continues to look like a complete juggernaut. I wrote it right after the game ended. In fact, I even posted it a couple minutes before the game went final. This team looks unstoppable. And I, I realize Ohio State only scored 21 points against Notre Dame in the opener. But there's so many reasons why the opening game of the season was a little clunky. You don't have tape. You got new coaching staff. There's all these different things you got you to put into the equation. The reality is once this team started to figure it out offensively, even without their best player, Jackson Smith and Jigba, most guys in that room will tell you he's the best player on the offense. He's got four catches for 36 yards this year, and they are far and away the best offense in the country, even without him on the field right now.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Ryan Days obviously talked about it in the last couple of weeks, just about how much, you know, how much emphasis they were placing on on Jackson being a big part of the offense going into that Notre Dame game, and then for him to be out of it after pretty much the first quarter to then, you know, have to have to have guys that you weren't really expecting to rely on, or maybe you know, guys who are going to have maybe smaller roles than what they did then come in and, and have such a, a, a big part of the offense. You know, it's crazy to see them kind of step up in that way. And, you know, then just him, uh, C.J. Stroud getting, you know, the, the repertoire and, and just the comfortability with those other guys, is it, it's been really cool to see. And, you know, who would have expected, you know, obviously we saw what Marvin Harrison Jr. did in the Rose Bowl last year, but did we expect him to have, you know, two more three-touchdown games this season? you know it's kind of one of those things where you expected Jackson to before be before the buy let alone just yeah. in general and then you know for we we expected Jackson to be kind of having that and then Marvin be that guy next year or something like that so yeah it it's just one of those things that once Jackson comes back it's like they're almost going to have too many guys you know who are going to be able to make a play and you know maybe maybe the issue at that point is how how do we make them all happy if that makes sense
0: yeah and i just i guess i struggle when i try to figure out how to think about this team, because the story is, for the most part, the guys that are on the field making the plays, right? But it's so much more than just the 11 guys on the field at a time. The, the season has largely been talked about who isn't on the field. It's the guys that have been missing, impact players that have not been on the field, whether it's for longer stints like Jackson's, or mm-hmm. today, Mayan Williams unavailable. Travion Henderson's been a little banged up this year. We haven't seen the steadiness in the secondary that we've wanted to see. Jordan Hancock hasn't even played yet. You know, Mike Hall has been a little bit more limited. He looks great when he's in there, but he hasn't been in there quite as often. I mean, it's a it's a laundry list of guys. Josh Proctor, I don't know if he got jumped on the depth chart. Lathan Ransom had a great great game today. I thought Josh played his butt off against Rutgers, and then we hardly saw him this week in in crunch time. So, I mean, look, I, it, it's it is almost as though. Ohio State has a team of players that's playing a different sport. Like, I just don't know what it's going to take for someone to beat Ohio State when they're playing well. If the Buckeyes shoot themselves in the foot, anybody's vulnerable, right? It's not, it's, it's, it's not a sport where you're going to just coast to victory. But they have done a really good job this year of limiting mistakes, jumping on other teams when, when they make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And they, they've put games away early.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I, I think that what is interesting about just having kind of these these pieces that have, wrote, you know, kind of rotated, you know, based, based upon injury, really, it, it almost is like you have an a, a team and a B team. And it's like whoever they, you know, trot out there that week is it, they just do what they, they can with it and they, they make it work. And, you know, I mean, to have Mayan have such a, a big impact last week and then be out this week and then say, OK, well, we're just going to plug Travion in there and he's going to have 118 yards and a touchdown. Like, that just doesn't seem fair to other teams. I mean, not that it matters because, obviously, you know, Ohio State doesn't care what the other team thinks. But, yeah, for, for them to be able to do that, and it's the same thing with Jackson going down. And, I mean, obviously, like, if CJ went down, that would be a different story. You know, you'd have Kyle McCord, who it doesn't seem like they're really even wanting him to throw a pass at this point, which is kind of surprising. But besides that, you know, pretty much every other position, you basically have the starter and you have a spare, and they make it work no matter what they have.
0: And, and a pair and a spare is kind of, you know, Ryan Day's mantra for sure. I'd almost go as far to say as it feels like they have more than a spare. It feels like it just doesn't matter. The next guy that they put in is able to perform at just as high a level. And, you know, let's talk about Dallin Hayden for a moment. He was obviously highly recruited, right? The kid had an unbelievable high school career, but he's fourth on Ohio State's depth chart coming into the year because he's not going to come in and start in front of Travion and Mayan and Evan Pryor, who had been here. Evan gets hurt. Travion and Mayan have been a little bit banged up, although they've certainly been productive this year. When you saw Travion take what I'm just guessing was kind of a stinger on his quad. I mean, he he looked like he was fine on the sideline after he kind of worked it out a little bit. Um, you know, Dallin comes off the sideline, and I watched the interaction with both the guys that were on the field and the teammates that were standing near Dallin when it was time for him to go into the game. And you could sense right away the belief that they had in him to just go perform. Ryan Day calls a handoff to first play from scrimmage when they're basically inside their five-yard line, and they march down the field and they score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's surgical. It's clinical. I mean, it, it it is so hard to figure out a way to stop an offense that doesn't seem to have a weakness I think maybe that's the most fair way to say it
1: yeah and, and I know that we'll probably get to the cornerbacks and, and the defensive back play just in general later but I think Dallin coming in was very similar to kind of the fate that they had in, in Jair Brown and J.K. Johnson two weeks ago against Wisconsin when they threw the you know the redshirt freshman and true freshman in to start the game because they didn't have anybody else at corner it's kind of the same thing with Dallin like he, he comes in, you know, as, as a well respected, highly sought after prospect, but they know what he brings. And then he brings that same, you know, work ethic that he brought from high school into practice and all that kind of stuff. And that then translates to the game so that when they know when he comes in, they're not worried because they know what kind of player he is. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Xavier Johnson, too, because he, here's somebody who really does everything and anything for this team. And then for them to put him in and, and he he break off an eight, you know, an eight yard carry after he's been playing wide receiver for two years, you know, it just kind of talks about just how ready those players are to, to make an impact. And then just the, the faith that they have
0: in them to do so. Readiness and, and unselfishness. Just put me on the field coach. I'll figure it out. Um, it's a special team. And, and I know we've talked about that a lot this year, but every single week they continue to prove that this, this is a group that people around the country are looking at and saying, that's the team to beat. And, mm-hmm. um, I feel like we need to give appropriate attention to what C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison in particular did today. Mm-hmm. C.J. Stroud throws six touchdown passes and five incompletions. Marvin Harrison finishes the day with seven catches. He was targeted nine times, 131 yards and three scores. Ameka Micah caught five of the six balls that were thrown his way, 143 yards and a touchdown, but um, admittedly one of those was certainly a long play in the 69-yarder. When C.J. Stroud has time to make a throw, it feels like 98% of the time he puts the ball in exactly the right spot. There are a couple of throws here and there that aren't perfect, but for the vast, vast majority of the time, he's putting the ball right where it needs to be caught, including when Marvin Harrison made, I mean, just the next in line in his ridiculous highlight reel of catches, that by itself could be one of the best catches you've ever seen. Well, and I thought that was
1: kind of interesting, you know, just watching from home and kind of seeing everybody's reaction to It's just, you know, it was, it was, was the throw better or was the catch better? And I don't think that there was a real consensus there, but I think I would lean more toward the the throw just because in that situation, CJ was actually under pressure. And I don't think that he, you know, put a full step into it either, or like put his, his entire, you know, throw through and then still dropped it in in that bucket and that, that, you know, I I don't know
0: that there's another quarterback in college football who can make that throw. Uh, probably not. He is one of one. Um, and then I then think it's notable. Go ahead. Then
1: obviously with Marvin, you know, he he's basically outdoing himself. You know, the first catch that he had, the 19 yard reception was he was he was being interfered with. You know, had a guy in his face over his shoulder. Second one, there's four defenders around him, and he runs up past all, all four of them. And then the third one, you know, that one was absurd. I don't know that he necessarily had to jump because he ended up catching it clear down by his he, like, feet. Caught it off his shoe. But, I mean, he, he looked like he was going to try to catch it in his cleats for for a moment. But, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just one of those things that he just makes that that acrobatic catch and, you know, just talks to the line of, you know, these athletic, super freaky receivers that they have.
0: It's only a kick. A jump. A block. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It must be fun for CJ to see Marvin and Mecca but lately maybe a bit more Marvin Make those kinds of catches because it probably makes it, it, it probably brings him a little more comfort that he doesn't have to be perfect. Marvin is going to catch pretty much anything thrown within arm reach. It doesn't matter if he's going low or high or lunging or diving or leaping, it doesn't matter. Um, and as a quarterback, there has to be a freeing feeling of hey, look, I'm going to make the best throw I can. I think I know where this is going to go. And I'm going to trust my ridiculously talented guy to go make a play. And, you know, they both end up benefiting it, uh, from it on a, a statistical perspective. Um, but I, I have to think that it's probably a bit of a pressure relief for CJ to know that I can just let it go and he'll get it.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like that that meme or whatever where they're like, F it. You know, someone's down there and they're <laughs> going to catch it. So, you know, it, it does make it easier, though, for real, because – you know, it's one of those things that he doesn't have to necessarily worry about putting it in the right, you know, in in the exact perfect spot to catch it like you often see with young wide receivers because he knows that they're going to go and make a play on the ball and, you know, have a wide catch radius and just be able to make more athletic plays because, you know, maybe in the red zone, you want to, you know, if it's just a younger receiver who's still learning the game, you you know, you might have to put it right on him. But then Marvin, you might be able to throw it over his head because he's going to be able to jump and, and get it or, you know, throw it out kind of out of bounds where only he can get it. And it's just one of those things that you just, you know, there's a lot of faith in having somebody who can do that kind of, that kind of stuff. And it makes your job a lot easier too.
0: No doubt about it. If you're listening after the fact, I hope the uh, audio on my end is still pretty clean. There are some uh, construction vehicles that are doing some uh, field maintenance. In fact, at the moment, I think they might just be cutting the grass, but they had, uh, they've got a couple other vehicles down there. So hopefully you guys can still hear me. Okay. uh, from me, science. Um, All right, let's talk about the defense for a moment. You know, I think it's going to be overplayed that the final stats would reflect maybe a slightly more average performance. When Ohio State's ones were out there defensively through three quarters, they gave up 105 yards of offense and negative eight rushing yards. And I think the sack-adjusted number was something like 21. So it's it's not as though the defense had some – poor day because they only won by four touchdowns. Um, Absolutely. I actually thought Peyton Thorne played a pretty decent game. He just was running for his life all day.
1: Yeah. And, I'm, and I got to stress again, only four touchdowns. So, you know, that's, that's pretty good in itself. Considering that, you, know, you know, you might look at this game on a schedule at the beginning of the year and say, Hey, that might be one of the tougher games just because Michigan state's always kind of, you know, given Ohio state in the last 11 years. I mean, in the last eleven years, they have three wins over Ohio State, which is more than any other team in the Big Ten. So it's not like this was necessarily a game that you know that they should have just expected to go and walk through. But yeah, I think more more importantly, stat wise, if you take out you know it, it, before the before the second team came in, I mean they only gave up six points because of the missed extra point, and obviously CJ had the the pick six. So defensively, they only gave up six points um, before the starters came out. So. Yeah, I mean, for for them to be able to do that against, you know, Thorne, who was obviously playing well, and, you know, um, I know Reed had some nice plays early on, and, and you know, it kind of looked like he might give them a, a little bit of a hard time, but then they kind of keyed in on him and, and, and really just shut them down from that standpoint.
0: Yeah, this, just, this was not a close game. I mean, even with the backup defenders that were in late in the game and they skewed the stats a little bit, Michigan State had 20 carries – for seven net rushing yards. Single digit rushing yards is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they, they never really mounted much of a threat. And on top of that, the thing I was frankly most impressed with the whole game was the debilitating feeling that Ohio State gave Michigan State every time the Spartans pinned them back deep. Ohio State had three scoring drives in this game of 91 yards or longer. We talked about it going into the week. Michigan State's punting unit is very good. Not just their punter, but their coverage unit. And they pinned the Buckeyes deep several times, and it didn't matter. They couldn't stop them. Um, I think Ohio State's offense gets a lot of credit for that. But I, I actually – I also credit Ryan Day's play calling today. I thought he called one of his better games in recent memory. He, it, it felt as though Michigan State's eyes defensively were always looking in a direction that the Buckeyes wanted them to be looking. Mm-hmm. And then they went a different way. And CJ gets credit for that for sure. The offensive line gets credit for that, for holding the blocks the right way. I thought Stroud was under a little bit of pressure early on. Um, there were a few negative plays on first downs. The Buckeyes were behind the chains a few times. But largely the play calling was fun. It was creative. and And it felt like, Ryan Day said, "Look, I got some guys that can go make plays, and a secondary across the way that hasn't had a lot of success lately. Let's see what they got." And the Buckeyes put up an you know an, an epic show.
1: Yeah, and I think that one thing that that defenses are going to really struggle with this year. And it was kind of a there was a play specifically that I noticed this, but it was on um it was on Ohio State's second scoring drive when Aguba had the the 69-yard touchdown they lined up in a coverage that they just expected Ohio State to run the ball on, on third and one. And, you know, it, it was one of those those moments where I was like, okay, why why do they think that, you know, that Ohio State's offense is that predictable? And then, you know, the cornerback looked off to make sure that another one of the other, I think it was the safety came down and covered it. Guca, looked over at the corner to see if he was doing what he was supposed to do. And Mecca ran right by him. So, yeah, I think it's just one of those things that teams are going to try to, try to guess what Ohio State's doing more than they're going to maybe try to defend them, if that makes sense, just because, you know, you want to kind of get that advantage in and, and one way or the other, just pull something out of a hat. And, you know, that that's never going to work. That's not something that is a sustainable thing over the course of a game. And it might end up getting you, you know, one play in your favor, but yeah, I mean,
0: Michigan State was just overmatched in every way today. And I think that that really showed. I remember last week, third and fourth down conversions combined. I think Rutgers was one for 13. Today, not a whole lot better for Michigan State. On uh, third downs, they were three of 11 and they did not try a fourth down conversion. You know, I, I think just quickly back throughout the course of the year, it's been the inability for Ohio State's opponent to string together drives basically from week two on. I thought Notre Dame just, again, off the top of my head, I think I remember being a little bit frustrated at times because it was that bend but don't break defense that Jim Knowles quickly said, I hate that term. I want to be don't bend and don't break. Uh, Notre Dame, I think, extended drives, if I remember correctly, they, they did it well enough. They just didn't score much. But basically, from that point forward, the Buckeye defense has done a good job of keeping plays largely in front of them. They've given up one or two big plays a game. For the most part, it hasn't been costly. They outscore their mistakes by a lot. Um, and, and so far, nobody has shown the offensive firepower to keep up with them. So they hit the bye week 6-0. and I think we're going to try to monitor the health of this team as best we can moving forward. Certainly mm-hmm. the hope is that with, I'm hopeful, a lighter week of practice. The Buckeyes talk about how hard Tuesdays and Wednesdays are. Maybe we could not have a hard Tuesday and Wednesday this week. <laughs> um you know, get Travion healthy, get Byron healthy, get Jackson healthy. And then in two weeks when Iowa comes to town and, and the Buckeyes feel like they owe Iowa one after what happened a couple years ago, hopefully we'll see this team full steam ahead.
1: Yeah, and I think just, you know, th- that that's a really important thing and just an off week is to really get, you know, healed up and, and refreshed for that, that stretch run because really you come back and you face a, a physical Iowa team who, you know, they're not great. They don't have the offense that would ever even – I don't know, be able to keep up with Ohio State in the last three years, three, four years, just because of the way Ohio State plays offensively. But, um, you know, then, then you go on the road to Penn State. That's going to be presumably a, a top-ten matchup, depending on what happens with them playing Michigan next week. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's just you want to get healthy for that that physical stretch right there, and then obviously you kind of come off of that and you've got Northwestern, Indiana, Maryland, which aren't going to be as physical. But, yeah. I think it's just very important to to get rested up, get healthy, and be able to go into those games full strength because you, you really don't know what's going to happen. I think it's just important to be, to be at full strength.
0: I wrote about it right after the game, and uh, I'll, I'll re- reiterate it again. If you're playing the Buckeyes any time this season, let alone here uh, coming up soon, good luck, because I have yet to see uh, an opposing defensive coordinator come up with a game plan frustrating enough for Ohio State offense winning. Pretty darn fun, really impressive, and it's great to see these guys playing uh, at the top of their game. we got lots more planned for you over on BuckeyesNow.com, so head over there and, uh, and check out what we've got written covering this game. And then certainly we've got plenty to come here throughout the course of the week. We will talk with Ryan Day on Tuesday. He'll be available to us. But I think for, for media availability the rest of the week, I think that's, that's just uh, about it. I think yeah. the Buckeyes yeah. are going to try to take as much off as they can this week.
1: I'd say we're going to get um, day and and we were told three coaches on, on Tuesday um, then the players, obviously we get them typically on Wednesday, but we won't get them this week. So yeah, it'll just be interesting to kind of have the conversations with them. And, you know, I think that one thing that kind of stood out to me today um, is, you know, I I think that the secondary at cornerback, really, you know, I know that they've had, you know, depth issues and, and that's not something that they can correct, but I think getting Jordan Hancock back hopefully and, you know, off, off of this off week will be a very important thing just because, you know, I, I think that they kind of just need some some extra bodies in there, the ability to rotate, the ability to have, you know, guys come out after maybe not being in a position. Because I know Ryan Day said today, you know, that that the guys are there. They're happy that they're there. They're just maybe not making the play on the ball. And I think that, you know, just being able to have another guy in there and, and kind of being able to pull them out and say, well, this is what you did, and you know, create a little bit
0: more competition will only help them there i agree and the more reps you get the better you're going to largely be it's not like they're not going up against uh good you know good players in practice each week um i i don't think the secondary is an overwhelming concern i am a little concerned but i'm not sound the alarm bells this thing isn't working we got to get this fixed if we're going to see the buckeyes win a national title but i can understand why people are a little frustrated um, I don't expect perfection from this team, but they sure have looked pretty darn close to it uh, on a couple of occasions this year. And for much of today, I think that's a fair assumption. Big thanks to Eddie Murata, our producer back home. Thanks for uh, all your help and, uh, and all your work here on the show. For Andrew Lind, I'm Brendan Gulick. We'll see you real soon over on Buckeyes Now. Follow us on our YouTube channel, on our social media channels, at Buckeyes Now underscore FN. We're part of the Fan Nation Network and the Sports Illustrated Media Group. Again, I'm Brendan Gulick. We'll see you again real soon. The Buckeyes with a big performance tonight, 49-20. to 20. They beat Sparty here, and they go into the break with a 6-0 record.